Let's welcome up Savannah and Dan, and we're gonna have a little conversation about children. Let's give them a hand. Thank you so much for being here. Did you say I was the older friend? <laughs> you are my older friend. And, uh, and I met Savannah just this morning. I've heard so much about you through Rachel and our local and global impact. Uh, Savannah is with El Roy, which is a, uh, a ministry that helps uh, foster families, uh, families who support foster kids. And then Dan is with My City Youth and has been around there for quite a long time at, uh, in the Hemet area, uh, ministering to kids who are at risk. And so we'll talk about that today. Let's start uh, with you, Savannah. Um, tell us about El Roy and what the vision and mission is and how you got involved. Hi, everyone. My name is Savannah, and um, I started El Roy out of my garage a few years ago. Um, it is a ministry that's located here in Temecula that meets needs of kids um, at risk of entering foster care, already in foster care, reunifying with their families, and then aging out of foster care. Um, I, um, I was placed in foster care right after birth and then was later adopted through foster care, and um, didn't become a Christian until about four years ago, and then it was at that point that I realized that this is what I was created for. Um, everything made sense, and um, I had realized that my Lord is sovereign over everything and that there's nothing that happened in my life that he didn't allow um, to happen so I could be a voice for the voiceless, and um, I can't emphasize enough how much preventative services are so important to keep these kids with their families um, in the first place, but then once they're in foster care, if we could just step in and be an example of how much Christ loves them and cares for them just by loving them and meeting their immediate essential needs, are, it's huge. It's huge, and I love how God has used you, know, you and your story uh, with all the successes and with all the pain, but to really say, my mission in life is now to help people who are sort of in my uh, as I was before, and, and, and so many great organizations were built because of the experiences of people just like you who end up founding something that is uh, impacting so many lives. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And then Dan, uh, you're the executive director of my City Youth Center in Hemet, and uh, we've had a great uh, long relationship with, with you, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to get to know what you do over there. So tell us about my City Youth. Well, <clears throat> my, as a child, I was abused by my older brother, and that's kind of been a anchor in my heart for kids that are being abused. And that moves right into the at-risk and actually we're working with many high at-risk kids that are undergoing different forms of abuse and molestations and all kinds of stuff that are tragic. But these kids tend to end up in an impoverished situation and they're led by their uncles and their older brothers and they find their way into trouble and into prison or, you know, worse. So. Um, it's been my heart to kind of help cut that edge. Now, when I moved to Hemet, it was a different story. You know, it would have been more like putting one here in town, but uh, it just got worse, and uh, I'm looking forward to get better. I believe that God has a plan for the community of Hemet, and he's going to move in a great way. So there we are. We have uh, guitar lessons. We have um, uh, art classes, basketball, um, soccer. We have all kinds of things. There's, everything we do is free. We have our mo teenage mommy store. My wife's over here hiding somewhere. She's the one that runs that. And uh, that's really exciting because we're working with teenage mothers and what have you. The first time I went to my city youth center, I was, uh, um, I guess, pleasantly surprised that it's right there in the middle of town, right in the center of town. So 
all of the, uh, you know, the city surrounds it, and particularly the areas that are most in need in Hemet. You're right there. It's, it's ground zero. And there's a lot of need in, in Hemet. There's a lot we can celebrate about it, but there is a, a great need there. And you're at the heart of helping people, really, in the name of the Lord, uh, and particularly with kids who are fifth grade. And that's real precise for you. Why is that? Yeah, I left that out, didn't I? That's all right. <laughs> Well, I found, you know, I've been always looking at middle school as a target, but I realized that fifth graders are still, um, actually, if they have a parent, the, the parents are more likely to be involved in their lives, and they are a little more receptive to adults, and a little more trusting. Once they get into middle school, they start getting corrupted, and they turn away from all that stuff. So it's a really <laughs> vulnerable time. Yeah. Sorry, you middle school teachers. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but they're it's, gone. They're gone. <laughs> It's a really vulnerable time in their life, and so we are targeting everything right now, putting our, our aim towards that age, and we can build it organically, build them up into high school and work that way. A few times ago when we spoke, we were kind of lamenting that, you know, there used to be a focus on maybe high school, but then you realize it's almost too late for a lot of these kids in high school. So you go down to middle school and say, okay, that's where, where we'll intervene, that's where we'll grab them. And sadly, what you've come to the conclusion is, is for some of them, it's almost too late in middle school. So to get down to that fifth grade sweet spot to say, hey, these are children, they're in elementary school, they might have a little edge, and, and, but what you said is, is if we can get loving adults in there to take them seriously, to build relationships with them, to really listen to them, and then to give them some help and to have fun with them. And I love the fact, you, you walk on uh, my city youth center and it's a fun place. There's recreational stuff all over the place and uh, you've got a new building coming up as, as well. We Tell do. us about that. Yeah. We have a 12,000 square foot building it's going to be a, a high school regulation uh, basketball court in there, and then the front side of the building will be a two-story building. The upstairs is actually dedicated towards the program, our, our program for these kids, the middle school, the fifth graders on up. And then downstairs will be um, different classrooms. It's going to be an athletic center, but the beautiful thing about this, we're going to move out of our current facility into this one, and then the existing facility will become a licensed daycare for teenage moms. It'll allow them to get uh, back into their high school, finish up, go up to Mount San Jacinto High School in, San, in our area, or get a job, and we'll watch their children for free. So it's going to awesome. make a lot of changes. Very, very cool. And you've got some things coming up as well. You've got a, we've got a party coming up and a vision about housing. Tell us about that. So um, we do have a Christmas party coming up for kids that are in foster care. It'll be here at Rancho. So if you want to get involved in that, um, please reach out to me or Blair, who is a part of Replanted, or Rachel. Um, and then um, we do have visions for kids that have aged out of foster care. But I do want to say, so I am the um, executive director of Elroy Foster Closet, but I'm also the regional manager for Care Portal which is okay, something yep. that your uh -huh. church yep. um, has, is, is already a part of, and um, the school districts are a part of, and Birth Choice and all these different nonprofits where they can actually put needs in to Care Portal, which is just a technology platform um, that churches can see and respond to and respond directly to that family. So um, when we're talking more about preventative, we're rolling this out with all 23 Riverside County school districts where their foster liaisons or homeless liaisons, they're going to be submitting needs for these kids and families. Um, and it's a public platform. You guys can see the need and respond directly to the family. Um, so when we're talking about preventative, that is huge. Um, but then once we get past that, like he was saying, sometimes high school is a little too late. And so uh, 30,000 kids age out of foster care in the United States. And um, right off the bat, 20% of them become homeless. 70% uh, go on government aid right away. Uh, seven out of 10 become pregnant uh, before the age of 21. 
I was a teen mom, and so places like My City Youth and Birth Choice are all these kids have to help them raise their child. And my, my 17 and a half year old now, his, his bedding and his crib and everything that I had for him came from Birth Choice of Hemet. Um, and so just stepping in in these kids' lives once they reach adulthood um, and just being a light to them in this dark place is, is something that me and Scott have been in conversations about, opening a home uh, for aged out youth where they can come live, we're thinking like a two-year program where they could live and we could wrap around them and support them and teach them life skills and, and just be the family for them and be an example of, of God's love and uh, provision for them because there are, there are hard things in life and there are easy things in life, but you know God is always good and everything is always good and meant for good and I'm an example of that. Um, there's nothing in my life that he didn't see or allow um, and so we just want to portray that to these kids, that everything they've been through, their God knows, and their God loves them, and he sees them, which is the name of Elroy. Elroy means you are the God who sees me, which is, I think, so important for these kids to, to know that they aren't forgotten, um, that God does see them, and he loves them, and that, um, you know, I think that uh, I've heard that when you're meeting a kid that's come from hard places, one of the things to say to them first is to apologize for the people that were supposed to love them the way that they treated them. Just apologize for that. Um, make sure they know that that is not um, who our God is and, and that they are special and created for a purpose. Yeah, and then show them something different, right? Show them unconditional love and acceptance in both of your organizations. It's been such a pleasure uh, to work with both of you. We are going to get started on that housing. That's not a hope that's going to happen. And, um, and they can volunteer. You guys need some volunteers, uh, some support, some resourcing, and uh, you'll be around here today. And uh, I just thank you so much for the good work you're doing. It means an awful lot. Thank you, Savannah. And Dan, we appreciate it so much. All right, mercy, justice, and love. I'm sure you know by now that um, Rancho's uh, mission statement is centered on this, right? Our mission statement is a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. We are a Jesus-centered community of friends, right? Which means, what did Jesus say? That's what we wanna do. What did Jesus do? That's what we're going after. And, and what Jesus talked about, what he preached about, was mercy, justice, and love. What did he do with his life? He showed mercy. He brought justice. And he said, the only thing you need to worry about is loving God and loving one another. And so that's who we are as a church. And that's why we are partnering with these ministries and many, many others. Every ministry that was mentioned uh, from Birth Choice, My City Youth, Elroy, and countless others, we've partnered with. A lot of them we helped to found. All of them we helped to fund. And so it's an incredible thing to be a part of this kind of community that's not just about talking, but about doing. It's about doing. And when we talk about mercy, justice, and love, just to be frank, we need to start with kids. We need to start with kids. Why would we start with kids? Why is it about kids first? Well, first of all, they are innocent. Children are innocent. I didn't say perfect. <laughs> Other than my four, kids are not perfect. No, they're not, not perfect but they are innocent, which simply means they did not put themselves in the position they're in. They're kids. They didn't decide I'm going to put myself in poverty. They didn't decide I'm going to put myself at risk. They didn't decide I'm going to be without parents. They're innocent. Their lives were built for them by others or by unfortunate circumstances. Children also didn't cause any of the world's problems. Can you think of one person under, the 18, under 18 who caused a global problem? They didn't cause these problems. They didn't cause the systems and structures that keep them where they're at. 
They didn't cause systemic poverty. They didn't cause gang problems, right? They didn't cause the world's problems. Children also must have hope for us to have a hopeful future. If one generation of kids loses hope and they just kind of pack it in and they don't put themselves and their minds and their hearts to work to build a better world, we're all messed up. I mean, I'm in my 50s now. And so um, my kids and their generation are starting to shape the world. And as I get older and older and older, I'm going to live in the world that they built. And so kids need to have a hopeful future. And it's up to us to give them a hopeful future, even if they come from poverty, even if they come from high-risk areas, we need to be the ones to ensure all kids everywhere have a hopeful future. Now, just a few weeks ago, we ended a whole series on the next generation because we are fiercely dedicated to the next generation. Our church is built on nursery, kids, youth ministry. We have one of the largest schools in the Inland Empire, if not the largest, one of the fastest growing schools in the nation because we are, are dedicated to building in the good things of God to the next generation. On any, any given week, there are 2,000 kids walking these hallways. It's a remarkable thing to be able to, to, to hold the next generation and to be able to say, God, whatever you've poured into us, we want to pour into the kids. And I want to reiterate God's heart for the children. Psalm 127.3, behold, God says, children are a treasure given as a gift of the Lord. They're a treasure. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is God's heart for kids. He says to all of us, they're my treasures. And if anything is a treasure to God, it is to be a treasure to us. Children are a reward. And I'm not just talking about our own kids in our own house. We can say, yeah, we treasure them and, and they're, they're a reward for us. But beyond that, we need to consider all children not just in our neighborhood, not just in our community, but throughout the world, and to say, they're all treasures to God. We all need to hold these, these kids very dear to us, especially those who are in need. Nelson Mandela famously said this. He said, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. And I cannot agree more with that statement. I've been to a lot of places in this world, five continents, I don't know, 15, 17 nations. And I've been in nations that just discount their children. I mean, they just push them off to the side. It's all about the adults. The adults are prioritized. The adults get together. The adults do what they want to do. Kids are oftentimes considered an annoyance. Kids, you just play over there. Ask the kids section, whatever your problems are, whatever, the adults are doing this business. And if I named the countries that I experienced that firsthand, you'll go, oh, kind of a disaster. A society's soul is really founded in how they value their children. So how do we treat our children here in America? And I'm gonna localize this a little bit, so I apologize for those of you who are watching online, maybe nationally or globally, but we're gonna localize this a bit. We are the Temecula Marietta Valley. And you can go up to Wildemar, Lake Elsinore, and on the other side of the valley, uh, you're going up to, um, to Menifee, Sun City area. So we live in this valley that is uh, quite a distance away from any metropolitan area. And that's by design. A lot of the families here, if not most of the families here, have escaped the metropolitan cities to come here to raise their kids in a safe atmosphere. And this is a safe community. We have a safe community. And this is a great place to raise kids. Uh, billions and billions of dollars worth of, uh, you know, incredible school campuses. And there's a park in, on every other corner. I mean, we're all about the kids. 
I don't know a kid who's not involved in some kind of, you know, club or activity, arts, athletics. I mean, you name it, these kids are involved and parents are all about their kids. So much so, we often treat our own children like gods. Some of you will appreciate the Iron Throne more than others. But we almost treat them like gods. I mean, they're the center of the world. You get a parent talking about their kids and just hang on because it's going to be a while and they're going to be all perfect and all the stuff that they do. It's fantastic, right? A lot of these kids, now this isn't universal. This is just generally speaking in our area. Kids more or less get whatever their hearts desires, right? Uh, I have talked to children navigating their Christmas budget in the thousands of dollars. Um, Kids, many of which, again, this is not everybody, but many kids are not allowed to experience hardship. If a kid runs across a hardship, say, with their friends, the parents are marching to their kids, parents, their friends' parents. If there's a problem in the classroom, what teacher, what is your problem? A problem in the sports world, well, that's the coach's problem, right? Kids are, kids are not allowed to experience hardship. We just get in there and fix it for them, right? And if anyone dares to correct our precious, watch out, watch out. Parents, in general, want to remove every obstacle in front of their kids. They just get right out there and they remove the obstacles so our kids have a free path to every opportunity that we created for them. Now, listen, some of this is fantastic, right? I mean, sometimes I look at how my kids, you know, grow up and all that they get to experience. I'm like, that'd have been good. (laughs) That would have been great. These kids grow up knowing that they are loved. They grow up in general knowing that they're a priority, that they have a community of support around them, that yes, if they get in a bind, they know they're gonna have some help. Uh, Kids grow up knowing that they have a lot of opportunities ahead of them, so there's a a lot of good things uh, when we treat our kids like, like little gods. However, there is a dark side. There is a dark side, and this is something very interesting. It's being studied by countless institutions uh, let's just, for lack of a better wor- word, um, you know, call our kids more or less, you know, spoiled, right? There's a dark side to that. This is from the Family Trauma Institute. Parents these days, this is again a broad brush, swoop in and rescue their children at the slightest sign of disappointment or difficulty. They problem solve their children's issue, robbing them of the opportunity to learn self-regulation, decision-making, and confidence-building skills. The article goes on. The result of that down the line, this is a quote, can lead to mental health issues such as increased anxiety, low self-esteem, and depression. And the big question is, well, how is that possible? How is it that we give kids everything their little hearts desire, and yet the result is anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem? And there's a lot of work going into that because this is for real. Youth anxiety is for real. Youth depression is for real. Youth low self-esteem is for real. And it's at levels that are unprecedented right now. Now, a lot of it could have to do with uh, the dynamics about COVID, right? Uh, We've all lived in this, you know, constant anxiety. We have political tensions, disease tensions, uh, some economic tensions, and kids hear everything, right? So they hear the anxieties of their parents. They hear the anxieties on the news. They hear their anxieties from their neighbors around them. And kids are just anxiety sponges. They just, all they do is absorb all the anxieties around them, right? And they don't have necessarily all the tools to be able to process those and articulate those and work through those, you know, in healthy ways. So they just absorb all the anxieties of the world around them. And then they might've been isolated, uh, not in school, having the normal socialization for, you know, a year, year and a half. 
And inside, so many of them are, are really struggling. They're really struggling. And so on the outside, they might be in, in a wonderful kind of Temecula Marietta neighborhood and that looks wonderful and it's trash-free and it's all landscaped and all the stucco's, you know, the same color and that might look all nice and clean, right? And kids go to wonderful schools and wonderful activities, but inside they have not been able to process a lot of stuff and so many of them are struggling. And their pain is often hidden. You know, it's hidden behind the, the neighborhoods. It's hidden behind the walls. It, it's hidden in these palatial schools. But that suffering is for real. And a lot of their suffering is about insecurity. They suffer with self-hate. They've suffered with isolation. They've suffered through social media comparison. I mean, if you've read the articles, uh, you have seen that social media engagement is messing with our kids' heads because nobody posts the truth on social media. They post their fairyland, right? And all their filters. And, and, and kids, especially adolescents and especially adolescent girls, uh, do, do not, you know, quite, they can't deal with the fairy tale land and the own reality that they're dealing with, right? And so it creates the sense of I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough. They suffer from unfiltered internet and TV. Let me just give you 15 seconds and I'm just gonna drop a bomb and walk away. If I handed your child pornography, you probably would have a problem with it, I hope. Yet kids have unfiltered internet and unfiltered TV in their rooms. I don't see the difference. They're suffering with the consequences of that. The things elementary students are seeing are unfathomable because it's in their room. Kids suffering with cyberbullying, angry words even in their own home, physical violence, sexual violence in their own home sometimes, extreme anxiety, extreme depression. These, these are, are common even in our Disneyland communities. So when we talk about mercy, justice, and love, we do need to talk about our own worlds because it might look good, but there's a lot going on in the soul and we've got to pay attention. And there are ways that we can pay attention to that, right? Just difficult sort of skill sets around how to talk to even our own kids or to see the warning signs maybe in other kids. But if a, if a student, if a child starts to kind of isolate a little bit and they have this kind of hollow look in their eyes, it just means there's a lot going on. And it's, um, uh, one way of handling that is keep kids busy, right? And so they go to this place and this place and this place and this place. And so there's a lot going on, a lot of inner turmoil, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of comparisons, anxieties and depressions that they're feeling. But they go to this place, this place, this place, and this place. But rarely sometimes do they have space to really think and to process and to talk to somebody that loves them. Could be a parent, a grandparent, could be a trusted neighbor, coach, or teacher, right? There's a lot of people around, but where is the space and where is sort of that skilled interaction with young people that says, how are you really doing? And then to ask specific questions without kind of chasing them down the hallways or intruding too much or kind of read the room. If they're not ready, they're not ready, but find a time to get them ready. Sometimes that means I've worked with youth for <laughs> 30, five years and, and finding the time to say, hey, let's make an appointment a couple days from now. Here's the time. We're going to talk about this. And so they're mentally and emotionally ready. When that time comes, whether it's a home or school, they're ready sometimes to sit down and talk. To show mercy toward our own kids, sometimes they are struggling in secret. What is mercy? It's simply relieving suffering. Simply relieving suffering. And for many of our kids, they are suffering. 
And we see the heart of God. Dion mentioned this earlier, that God wants their suffering relieved. Whenever God looks upon the landscape of the world and he sees its brokenness, his heart always goes to the kids first, always. James 127, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans. Look after the most needy children first, right? And when we think about the most needy children, I think a lot of times, and this is purely understandable and might, might even be right, you know, that our heads go immediately to the kids in extreme poverty. Understandable. Immediately goes to the orphan children, uh, the foster care children. When we think of mercy to children, it, it may go to those who are suffering from uh, illnesses, you know, and they, they need some support. That's all good. It's all true. It's all right to put our heart toward the mo most needy. We also need to have a heart toward our own kids in our own neighborhoods. When they hurt, be there, care, notice, talk to them, give them love and attention and all the affirmation they deserve locally and wherever we can, uh, nationally and globally. How can we do this specifically? Uh, when it comes to mercy, it's, it's on the easier side, right? Um, our community mission of hope feeds families. Most of that food goes to kids. The vast majority of it goes to kids. We have food bins out there every single week. We've had those out there every week since January of 2009 when we launched the rescue mission. Uh, it might take a little bit of time to get in the habit of bringing your Bibles, uh, bringing some food. Just every, every Sunday, go to your pantry, take a couple cans, bring it with you. As you're going grocery shopping, this one's for the rescue mission, bring it here with you. So, you know, we're a church of, of action and bringing some food is, is really easy. Uh, Thanksgiving, when you go out here, pick up that Thanksgiving bag, uh, we're going to feed about 3,000 people on Thanksgiving. Uh, most of that is going to be kids. Go out and do some grocery shopping for them. Think about volunteering. Some of you can, some of you can't. But think about volunteering with kids or youth. Um, some of my favorite stories of volunteering is when families volunteer together. And uh, we've got great stories of a husband and wife and kids volunteering, let's say, in children's ministry. And they don't have to be there every Sunday, but maybe once a month you go there and you volunteer with your kids. And then the cool thing for me is when those kids get a little older, they get to the high school age, a lot of those high school kids end up volunteering in children's ministries. And then when they graduate high school, they come back to Rancho, they're volunteering in youth ministry. I mean, this is, and why? Because it's so much fun. It is so much fun to walk around here on Wednesdays and just see a whole bunch of adults playing with a whole bunch of kids. And you know what that's called? It is called love. It is just love. People valuing kids, adults valuing kids, getting to know them, getting in small groups, hearing all the goofy stories, smiling, laughing, and then every once in a while you get to a point where you can share something about God to them, a little bit of love to them, and maybe they share what's going on in their life and you get to pray for them and be there for them and give them a hug and all of that stuff matters. If you're a teacher, don't lose heart. It is hard to be a teacher these days. It is hard to be a teacher these days. Most days around Rancho Christian here, I'm spending time with teachers and it's, it's difficult. We have a year and a half of COVID. Uh, some kids did, did well on there at grade level. Some kids are up to two years behind, sometimes even more. Uh, there are more behavior problems now than ever among the parents. <laughs> and sometimes with the kids. It is hard to be a teacher. Uh, teachers don't make zillions and zillions of dollars. It's hard to be a teacher. Some teachers are losing heart. They're looking at early retirement. They're saying, maybe I can slide over to some other thing. Just uh, the classroom's kind of tough right now. Teachers, I'm telling you, don't lose heart. Social workers, law enforcement that spends a lot of their time in domestic problems that involves kids. A lot of this stuff is kind of soul eroding work, but it is important. It is vitally important. I do not think it's an accident that some of our lowest paid professionals work with kids. Social workers, police officers, um, teachers, 
It's not an accident. There's something societally that we've got to really look at, right? Remember what Nelson Mandela said. The soul of the country is how we um, value our youth, right? If you work with youth in your profession, don't lose heart. Please, we need you. We need you. Mercy toward children. Find the need and meet it. How about justice? Let's, uh, uh, I thought that was an applause. Let's applaud our teacher. That was actually the pitter-patter of uh, feet. <laughs> I'm going to take that as applause for our teachers. Uh, how about justice? That was funny. Um, justice ministries. The work of justice is incredibly complicated. Incredibly complicated. It's also incredibly um, controversial. <laughs> I can't for the life of me figure out why. If you have a problem with the word justice, I, I can't help you. Justice, ensuring the equal respect, equal dignity, equal opportunity, and equal protection that all people deserve. Does anybody have a problem? Hang on a sec. Would anybody have a problem with that? I mean, isn't this just the most basic form of humanity, ensuring the equal respect, dignity, opportunity, and protection that all people deserve? especially when it comes to kids. Doesn't every single kid deserve equal respect, equal dignity, equal opportunity, and equal protection? And we can't pretend that every kid has it. I love our country. We've come a long way in so many areas, but is truly every kid in the United States of America enjoying equal respect, dignity, opportunity, and protection? The answer is no. No. So we have to keep working. And we have to keep working at justice for kids, primarily because God is so serious about this. We, said, we see that in the Bible. God is so serious about this. Very often when God speaks in the scripture, he does so in a, uh, in a teaching sort of a format. God is just kind of giving his heart in a teaching way. You know, you're my students, God is teaching. Sometimes God gets, uh, I'll call it prophetic. He's like, listen, I am serious about this. And if you're not serious about this, there's going to be some consequences. Sometimes God speaks in this, in this tone, and he does so in Deuteronomy 10, 18, and many other parts of Scripture where he says, List, listen, I am executing justice. I'm doing this for the fatherless. Always starts with the kids. I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to bring equal respect, dignity, opportunity, and protection to the fatherless. I'm starting with the kids and the widow and the refugee, giving food and clothing. God says, I'm going to bring justice I'm going to lift up those who are in need, not just by giving them what they don't have, but on the matters of justice, which is about the opportunities and the systems that kids are in to make sure they have all they need to succeed. I love uh, the Western image of justice. The Western image, uh, image of justice is a blind judge and scales. Blind judge and scales. Let's show this image here. It's a very familiar image, right? It's everywhere in the justice system. Justice is blind, which means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter if you are old or young. It doesn't matter if you are um, this ethnicity or another ethnicity, in the majority or the minority. You are going to get equal treatment. That's the heart of justice. Everybody, regardless of who you are, is going to get equal treatment. And that is true of children as well, but giving justice to kids is probably the most difficult thing. Because kids do not have a voice. They don't have a seat at the table. They can't really articulate a lot of what they're going through. 
Most of the time uh, when um, children are, are being victimized, they're victimized in the most secret places, and nobody's going to talk about it. And this isn't just locally, it's globally. So justice for kids is extraordinarily difficult. That blind balance is extraordinarily difficult for kids. But there's four forms of justice that I think are critical uh, for all of us, but particularly children. One is justice system balance, right? Justice system balance. And the reason why that balance is used in the justice system is that when somebody is a victim of a crime, they are brought down while the other person, you know, sort of, you know, gets their power out of what they did to, to harm another person. And so the justice system says, no, that's unacceptable. We're going to raise up the victim and we are going to punish the perpetrator. And when it comes to children, most of the crimes against children are done in secret. And so it's so difficult to do that. That's why we have to keep involved in, in, the, in the areas that involve bringing justice to kids as hard as it might be. Social balance. That's the respect and dignity and treatment part of kids. Socially balanced to make sure that, that they are respected, that they, that they are treated with dignity. And, and oftentimes when it comes to kids, we focus on our own kids and rightfully so. Focusing on our own family is fantastic. But when it comes to justice for families, we've got to discipline ourselves to say, you know what, my kids aren't the only kids on earth. <laughs> They're my primary responsibility. But then if my kids are part of a classroom, I want to pay attention to those other kids as well, make sure they're good. If I am volunteering and I see a kid that's in trouble, that's not my kid, let's pay attention. Let's kind of move in. Let's, let's kind of build relationship a little bit. Um, if I'm on a sports team, you know, I know your kid's the star of the team or should be, right, of course, but there's other kids on that team as well. Build relationships with those kids. Look out for them as well. There's economic balance. Economic balance is about equal opportunity. And we're not talking about distributing equal payments to everybody. Call it socialism, call it communism, call it whatever you want to. The idea of, of everybody being on, on actual equal footing economically, that's not the goal that I see biblically at all but the goal is equal opportunity. And that's a big one. Kids, you know, who come from, uh, you know, structurally and generational poverty, it is so hard for them to actually walk in the experience of opportunity. And we might say, if we've had all the opportunity in the world, we might say, oh, well, you know, they have a public school system and they have a junior college system and they can get a job. You know, they've got it, they're covered. It's not that easy, right? We've got to peel back the layers of the onion and to say, what are the causal um, you know, problems, structural problems that keep generation upon generation in poverty, right? It, it, so they're in gangs and then their kids are in gangs and their kids' kids are in gangs. And, and, and why is that happening? Multiple generations of poverty. Why is that happening? We just can't say as people who've had all these opportunities and take advantage of them, oh, you know, in America, it's all good. They just make their choices. Kids don't make those kind of choices. Kids don't make the choice to be in generational structural poverty. They don't make the choice to be in generational lack of education. This is where, you know, adults have to come alongside and say, we are going to give of ourselves to bring this equality uh, economically, equal opportunity. Power, this is a big deal as well. And I don't really know quite how to solve this one. But when it comes to children, giving a balance of justice when it comes to power is very interesting with kids because they don't have any seats of power. And nor would it be entirely reasonable for them to have seats of power in, in a lot of instances, although we could probably get creative. I don't know of too many minors who are sitting in boardrooms, right? That might be fun, but I don't know that they have that seat of power. Uh, their minors are not allowed to run for office, so they can't be in that seat of power. 
I don't know of many minors, you know, serving on, on nonprofit boards uh, or school boards, right? So they don't have a seat of power. So how are they going to be heard? They're going to be heard when adults are spending so much time with kids that they can kind of carry their voice to the boardroom and carry their voice into, the, into elected office, carry their voice into any place that matters. But I, I want to encourage us to really think about what it might mean to put kids in some kind of voice, some kind of power structurally. I, that, that would be kind of fun. Think about that in your business. Think about that in the nonprofit you're involved in. That could be interesting. But to bring voice to kids in the area of justice is fascinating. Psalm 82.3 says this. Again, this is God just speaking prophetically and powerfully. Give justice to the weak and fatherless. There it is again, the most vulnerable kids. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is a cry for justice, particularly towards kids. That's the heart of God. It's got to be our heart as well. But I'm telling you, justice is so complicated, so, so complicated, not just locally, but globally. When we think about the plight of children globally, it is in many places far worse than the plight of kids in our own neighborhood and in our own country. Issues of sexual abuse that in some countries, they don't even pay attention to it. In most countries, less than 1% of child abuse cases are even reported. In many parts of the world, child abuse is not a priority of the local authorities systemically. According to UNICEF, there are roughly 153 million orphans worldwide. This is Orphan Sunday, and so we're bringing attention to that. And some of you might be called by God to, to be a foster family and bring in children either temporarily as they get you know, back to their family or maybe uh, foster to adopt. Just pray about that. Seek God on that. 186 million child laborers worldwide. Uh, that rate of decline has stopped. Roughly 100,000, and who knows, there could be 50 to 200,000 child soldiers in the world. When it comes to global poverty, when you've got a, a third to, to 45% of the world in, you know, you're talking about $2 a day, um, while things are getting better there, it's still a huge problem. So let's have a heart for the world as well. And so for us, uh, we have the great privilege and great honor to uh, either have founded or partner with incredible international organizations. Uh, Paz Esperanza is among our, our favorites. It's based in Peru. This is a group of attorneys and uh, safe home operators that rescue children from sexual abuse, um, mainly girls. They rescue them from their home, horrible situations, local authorities, local legal system does nothing. And so these advocates, these legal advocates say, we're gonna step in and we're gonna make it happen. And we're gonna uh, mobilize the legal, uh, the, the justice system to protect these kids and give them a new life. Uh, we send high school students down to Pasi Esperanza, and it is a wake-up call. We tell parents what they're getting into. You're getting into a gnarly world here. But when you have juniors and seniors in high school going down to Pasi Esperanza, they see the world as it is, and they return with a heart for justice for kids. We had the privilege to help found Imani uh, School in Kenya. Uh, in Kenya, government school uh, ends at third grade, and then from then on, it is, a, it is a fee that most families can't afford. And so these kids are trapped in systemic poverty. Uh, this school that we helped to found uh, gets kids all the way through high school, which nearly guarantees them a university education. 
We founded Plus One Palawano, a people group in the Philippines that we've been working with for four decades. Uh, 10 years ago, we started a medical mission to make sure that preventable diseases are handled. This also includes some sustainable farming as well. And uh, it's incredible what happens at that level of support, just basic support of healthcare and agriculture, what it can do. Let's end on a positive note, ready? There's some great stuff happening in the world about children, great stuff. Since 1990, childhood poverty has been cut in half. Since 1990, preventable diseases among children, those rates are cut in half. Since 1990, child mortality rates have been cut in half. Since the year 2000, uh, child labor has been cut by a third. Since 1990, uh, child abuse rates in the United States have been cut in half. Something happened in 1990. No joke, I, I, I think I, I have a little bit of line on what, that happened, on what happened there. Uh, the children of uh, baby boomers opened their eyes to kids around the 1990s. And the United Nations mobilized and the United States mobilized and churches mobilized to say, hey, listen, we've got to take care of the kids. A lot of their pain is in silence. A lot of their pain is hidden. A lot of their pain is behind closed doors. It's time to really, really get after the suffering of children. And if we can just pour mercy and justice and love upon these kids, hope will emerge for the next generation and beyond. Let's take this momentum and say, hey, listen, it's the value of God himself through Jesus Christ that started this whole movement. We're Christians, we follow Christ. He taught about mercy, justice, and love. He gave us the example of mercy, justice, and love. God is very clear, it starts with the kids. And if that's deep in our heart as a church, as a people, if every single one of our families would say, yep, yeah, I'm gonna take care of my kids. Yes, they're the most important thing in my life, but I'm also gonna give a little bit of my heart to other people's kids. I'm gonna give, give a little bit of my heart to the plight of kids internationally. I'm gonna give a little bit of my resources to actually move the needle on some of these things that are happening globally. And we're gonna change lives and we're gonna make a better world in the name of God. Here's the vision of God for kids. I love it, it's super simple. God says this, I'm gonna be the counselor of all your kids. God himself says, I'm gonna be the counselor of all your kids. Let's think about how that happens, right? Does God open up the sky and counsel all of our kids? <laughs> it doesn't happen. God doesn't open up the sky and counsel our kids. How does, is God going to personally counsel every kid on earth? Through who? Yeah, we're looking at him. <laughs> we have the counsel of God. We've got the love of God. We've received the mercy and justice of God. Now we have the capacity to be the counsel of God to children, not just our own open up our hearts, open up our resources to be the counselor of children. I am gonna be the counselor of all your children and they will get this, enjoy great peace. Isn't that cool to think about? They're gonna enjoy great peace. This is the vision of God and the vision of God happens when we receive his mercy, justice, and love and give it to the kids of the world. 